we're going to do, we're going to start off uh, with the reading of God's word before we get into the message today. But first, I just want to take a moment and let you know, if we haven't met before, uh, my name is Caleb. I have the privilege of serving as our connections and discipleship pastor. And it's a joy to be able to close out the year with you this morning. Um, and I'm just thankful to be able to do this and be a part of this with you. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to read Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4 through 9. And I'll be reading from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, this morning. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. It'll also be on the screen. Philippians 4, 4 through 9, it reads as this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. You may be seated. Father, we ask that in this time, God, that your spirit would move, and God, that what would be the loudest over these next few moments would be your word. Father, we trust you. We thank you for your love and your kindness. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Peace that surpasses understanding. Those words, they jump off the page at us, do they not? Peace that surpasses understanding. I can imagine the readers of this text at the church in Philippi. I can imagine the monks in the Middle Ages. I can imagine people gathered in secret churches throughout history. I can imagine them reading this and peace jumping off the page yet feeling elusive. And I can imagine that there are those of us in this room on this corner of Salem Street this final Sunday of 2023 who you would say, peace feels elusive to me. It feels elusive. We so often lack peace in our circumstances, but we also lack peace within us and what we're going through, the lack of peace that we feel within us. Back in 2014, Amazon, they released these statistics of the most highlighted quotes in various books. And at the time, of the Hunger Games movies and books were quite the cultural phenomenon. And don't worry, we are not about to get into the ethics of Panem and Hunger Games. If you read the books, you know that that would be a doozy. All right, that was a free illustration for you millennials in the room or you millennials at heart. But what's noteworthy about these statistics that Amazon released is that for Kindle readers who read the Bible on their Kindle, the most highlighted passage, it was not John 3.16, it was not Psalm 23, those would make sense, but it was this passage that we just read. Specifically, chapter four, verse six and seven, peace that surpasses understanding. I've recently uh, been watching through the director's cut of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, if you're aware of these movies, you know that on their own, they're very long. The director's cut adds about an average, uh, an average of an hour at least to each one. So it makes the watching experience very long, but I love these movies. I think they're beautiful films. And recently I was watching The Two Towers, that's the second film, and I was captured by something that Sam, Sam is the companion of Frodo, I was captured by something that he said. Sam goes with Frodo on the journey to destroy the ring. If that's a spoiler for you, the movies have been out for 20 plus years and the book's much longer than that, so I really don't think that's my fault, okay? I really don't. But Sam, he, he has this moment where they're at a point in time where they've gone through a good bit of the journey and they've experienced a lot of difficult things. They've seen a lot of evil. 
They've gone through a lot of hurt. But Sam, he has this moment where he's recognizing what has happened. He's recognizing the difficulties of what they've endured, but he's also clinging to hope in the future. And he says this, because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad has happened? But then he says this, but in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. The front end of that sentence, how could the end be happy? I imagine that there are those of you in this room that if you were to look back at the last year, you'd have a hard time calling this a happy year because of the bad things that have happened. So you say, how could the end be happy? And I would also imagine there are some of you, you've gone through things in your life where if you're honest, it is hard for you to imagine good things in your future because how could the end be happy? You do not need me to explain to you the difficulties of this life. The shadows are very real. And when we're in those moments, it is especially then that peace can feel so elusive to us. The worry that we can feel over various things in life, just the general worry that we have. We live in a busy society. We live in a busy culture. We feel the pressure to perform well in work or to keep up the appearance of the perfect family. You know these things. These pressures, they can become both weights on our shoulders and burdens on our minds. And these worries, they often consume us, do they not? Is it just me? I know we all feel this. But guys, this is the gift of our passage today. Paul is not calling us to float through life unimpacted by the difficulties we face or witness others walk through. No, Paul is pointing us towards the availability of an undercurrent of peace here and now. In this life, that looks much more like a stabilizing anchor than an escape rope. If I'm honest with you, I often think of peace as an absence of difficult circumstances. And I often imagine it as like a tranquil feeling. But what if peace? What if peace really is like that stabilizing anchor where we feel the wind and the waves tossing the boat around, but we can know peace in those moments? That's the peace that Paul is talking about today. The language of our text is that the God of peace will guard our hearts and our minds. This word guard, it implies that there are indeed things attacking our hearts and our minds. Yet peace can be known and experienced. Yes, like Sam says, the the shadow does pass. The shadow will pass. But friends, the gift that we will unpack today is that God is with us in the shadows. He is with you. I'd like to take a moment to address some of you who may have started to put up some walls when you hear conversations around peace or anxiety, especially in a church. Specifically, if you wrestle with diagnosed or undiagnosed clinical anxiety or depression, it is quite possible that you, have met, you may have heard some very unhelpful and hurtful things related to your mental health and what that reflects about Jesus and his care for you or your devotion to him. And I have two things that I would like to say to you specifically. One, it is good and it is okay to receive help. I stand before you as someone who has experienced therapy as an evidence of God's kindness in my life. It is good and it is okay. And the second thing, and this is not a but, this is an and. And I also want you to hear me say this, you are not exempt. You are not exempt or outside of the bounds of the promises of peace that God makes available to his children. You are not exempt. Additionally, and this is for all of us today, 
Today's message is not a call to bypass our emotions or simply choose in our own power to not be anxious or to simply just pray it away. That's not what this passage is calling us to. This is a call to an awareness of God, his presence and his story, processing our emotions and our circumstances in light of who he is, what he has done and what he promises to do. Future hope matters a ton today. And then what we do with that is we respond to him with our lives. How can we do this? All of this rests on four words found at the end of verse five. The Lord is near. Hear me, the Lord the God of all things, he is near to you. And if he feels distant, he is so much closer than you think. Our first point really is, it's a summary of what Paul is calling us towards in this passage. It's awareness of his presence. Awareness of his presence. And underneath this awareness of his presence, what we're gonna see is that Paul has a couple of practices for us so that we can be aware of the presence of God. Because the peace that surpasses understanding is a gift of God's presence. So how do we become aware of the presence of God? The literary context, that just means what's been written up into the point of Philippians chapter four. So the first few chapters, they help us better understand the point that Paul is making. I wanna point out two major movements in the letter that come prior to our text. First, what is often referred to as the Christ hymn, Philippians chapter two, verses five through 12. The first part of verse five will be on the screen, but I will read five through 12. The Christ hymn reads, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by, forming the, by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. And we had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We cling to this. This is important for us in this Christ hymn, Paul calls the readers to adopt the attitude of Jesus. He then poetically shares a summary of what Jesus had done and what he promises to do in the future. And this future hope is expounded on in chapter three, two verses, verses 20 and 21. It says this, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So church, hear me. Paul believed, like Sam in our illustration from the Lord of the Rings, that there is a shadow that is passing. And church, I have good news for you, but God is not just the goal that provides future hope. It is not just that one day things will be made right. That is true. But here's what I want you to know. God is not just the goal that provides the hope. He is also the resource for us here and now that gives us hope in our present time. He is the resource of that hope and of that peace that we can feel that surpasses understanding. What we're about to do for the next few minutes is discuss some of the practices that Paul teaches us of how we can be aware of God and his presence. But first I wanna say this to you, because this is so important. God is relational. He is relational. He is not a formula to master or an equation to solve. The gospel is far more beautiful than that.
child has in a healthy relationship with their parent. I imagine the child sitting in the back seat of a car while it is just raining, it is a downpour, trusting mom or dad driving the car that they can see crystal clear. But parents, you know, you can't see very far ahead in front of you anyways. I imagine, like I see so many of you in the summertime, like at the beach, just launching your kids like 85 feet in the air and they trust you that you are going to catch them. That trust that they have. Some of, I see some parents going like, not, not my kid, they're not getting launched like that. When I think of this kind of trust, I think back to a family vacation that I had. That it, was, it was so spontaneous, it happened out of nowhere. We lived in Southwest Oklahoma and out of nowhere, my grandparents and my mom, they took my sister, and myself, along with my uncle, who's only a year older than me, we really grew up more like siblings. Out of nowhere, they took us to Wichita Falls, Texas. Who's been to Wichita Falls? Uh, if you're related to me, you don't get to raise your hand, okay? Uh, Wichita Falls, all right, there's not a lot going on there, but they have an awesome Holiday Inn. And we stayed at Holiday Inn for like three or four days, and it was the best vacation of my childhood. This Holiday Inn, it was, it was awesome. The whole first floor, there were two pools, there was a putt-putt, there was an arcade, and get this, they even had shuffleboard, all right? It was awesome. But the best thing about it was that all of the kids, we could just run all over the first floor because my grandparents and my mom, they could sit strategically and they could have eyes on us. And all I had to do when I was going from place to place was simply look up, catch their eyes, become aware of them, and know that they are aware of where I'm at, and then I could rest and play. Our first point today, our first, excuse me, our first sub-point, our first practice would be this, rejoice or remember. Rejoice or remember. This term rejoice is a call for the believers in Philippi and for us to remember who our Lord is, to rejoice in who he is and what he has done. Just from the literary context that we just spoke about, we know that they could look back to Philippians 2 and they could, they could practice rejoicing and thankfulness for the arrival of the humble King Jesus what we call the first advent, what we just celebrated at Christmas. And they could celebrate that. They could look back and remember their own humble beginnings as a church. We read much of this in Acts, but what started as a small group of believers, including Lydia, a businesswoman who was successful in the fashion industry of the day and a key leader of the church, alongside of a Philippian jailer, including his household, was now a congregation that Paul would use as an example for other church plants. Also, don't miss this, and we have the gift of history to know this, but the church in Philippi, it was the very first church plant in what we call Europe. This church in Philippi was the start of a movement, was a springboard that would change the Western world forever. So remember and rejoice, reader. Also, we talk about remembering. I wanna make a note that while the remembering that we do is important, it is even better to know that we worship a God who remembers. We worship a God who remembers. Time and time again, we see in the Old Testament that the people of Israel, they would not keep their covenant with God. They would, they would reject him. And time and time again, God was faithful to keep the covenant with them. Not based on who they were, but based on who he was, who he is. We remember a faithful God, and this gives us hope for the future that the God who did not forget his promise will also not forget his promise to one day return, that King Jesus will return and make all things right. And that is where we can find future hope, that one day this shadow will pass. And just a brief note on verse five as we keep kind of following down the trajectory of our text. It says this, and I just wanna make a note here. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. What does that mean? Simply this, follower of Jesus, you can let down your weapons. 
You don't have to fight. God is near. He is near to you, and he has your best interest at heart. And what does that mean? Give up control of your life to him, to live in the way of Jesus, to think of what Paul said, to adopt the attitude as our savior, to adopt the attitude of Jesus. We live in the way of Jesus. We've, sooner or later, we all learn as followers of Jesus that being the CEO of our own lives, this does not work. It is quite dissatisfying and ultimately emptying. There's a better way for us. And this is the way we can let our gentleness and our graciousness be known to others. Church, the Lord is near to you and he cares for you. He is near through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he is also near in the sense that he is one day coming back and he will deliver justice and peace. And we know that that is coming one day, but we also know that we're called as his followers to live as kingdom participants here and now. And this is why we let our gentleness and our graciousness be known to everyone because we trust the humble king and we take on his likeness and we live like him even when it's inconvenient because we know there is coming a day when the Prince of Peace will return. This is how we let our gentleness and graciousness be known. The second practice is what I would call life with God. Verse six, don't worry about anything. Easier said than done. But in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Very simply, this is an invitation to talk to God, prayer, and to ask, petition, him for help, for solutions, for comfort. And we do this with thanksgiving on the basis of who he is and what he's done through remembering and rejoicing. So church, my question to you would be this, how do we make our faith more than a Sunday morning type of faith? More than an attendance-based faith? We live life with God. Prayer is a great gift to us for this. It pulls us to an awareness of God, that he is with us, he is in our midst. Church, remember that the Holy Spirit of God is called the comforter and the counselor. Ask him for comfort and counsel. Invite him for comfort and counsel. To put it simply, talk to him about what is happening in your life and ask freely for his comfort and his counsel. Ask him to do things that you could never do in your own power. This is the God that we have. And the peace that surpasses understanding is a peace of God that is a gift of his presence. Catch this. It is a gift of his presence. So what Paul is teaching us through remembering and rejoicing, through prayer and petition, is to be aware of the God who is very real. To be aware of who he is and what he's done and rejoice in that and rest in him. Remembering and rejoicing, talking to God, asking for him to work and do things that we cannot do. Paul is teaching us to dwell with the God who dwells with us. He's teaching us to dwell. Where does that word dwell come from? Look down at verses eight and nine. Look at verses eight and nine. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, what is he supposed to do? Dwell on these things. Dwelling comes first, but then look what comes second. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. The sequencing here is very important. It's very important. Dwell on these things. Dwell on the goodness of God. Rest in his presence. Behold him. This is good news to us. Catch this. Dwelling precedes doing. Dwelling comes before doing. Some of you are exhausted because you are doing things for God without dwelling in his presence. And you are missing out. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. You're missing out on the good stuff. 
God invites us to rest and to find ourselves fulfilled and at peace in his presence before doing things on his behalf. Before we are called to be the light shining in the world for God's glory of Philippians 2.16, we are called to rest in the presence of the light of the world, the prince of peace in the Christ hymn, Philippians 2.5. There is power in beholding our Savior in thinking about him and being aware of him. The poet William Blake, he says this, we become what we behold. This is why the awareness of God's presence and beholding King Jesus is so important. Church, awareness is a call to pause. It's a call to pause. And some of you, you may be thinking this, Pastor, I don't have time to pause. I want you to hear this in grace. Pastor Ian Simkins at the Bridge Church in Tennessee, he says this, it's very simple, but he says, you are not created for a life that you do not have time for. He then points to the story of Martha, so busy doing chores for Jesus, not a bad thing, that she missed the better thing of resting in his presence in contrast to Mary who sat at his feet. He goes on to say, we desperately need a Mary spirit in a Martha world. We often do good things, but we miss God. The invitation for us is to pause and to rest in his presence, to be aware of who he is and what he's done and know that we can trust the, do- the God who has done good in the past to be good to us now and comfort us in the midst of life's storms. But friends, remember, we are responding to a God who is fully aware of who we are and he loves us. He loves you. His love for you is not a response to what you do for him. He loves you based on the nature of who he is. We have seen how we can practice being in the presence of God, but I imagine there are still some thoughts of yes, but what about all the pain and suffering in the world? This peace, it still sounds theoretical to me. Now church, it would be a mistake for me to stand up here and try to perfectly describe the peace that surpasses understanding to you. I do think it is important though for us to dig deeper and discuss what this peace can look like practically. And this is how we will wrap up our time together. Sean Aker, a Harvard-trained psychologist, he says this, if I know everything about your external world, I can only predict 10% of your long-term happiness. 90% of your long-term happiness is predicted not by the external world, but by the way your brain processes the world. Church, how we process our world matters. And here's the reality. Each one of us in here, we have a story. And I think the truth is that we so often respond to our circumstances and we respond to the world around us based off what we've been through. So if you carry, if you walk through life with a chip on your shoulder, you might say that makes sense because of the things that have happened to you in the past. And I'm sorry for those things. But there's a better way for us to process our story. There's a better way for us to respond to our own circumstances and even our own emotions. And this leads us to our final point, finding our story in the story. Or you could say processing our story in light of his story. We started in Lord of the Rings. We're gonna finish there too, don't worry. In the final book of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, after the ring is destroyed, once again, if that's a spoiler, that's not my fault. Sam finds out that his friend Gandalf, thought to be dead, is actually alive, and he says this. Sam says, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad becoming untrue? To this, the late pastor Tim Keller says, the answer of Christianity to that question is yes. Everything sad is going to come untrue and it'll somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. I'll level with you. That is difficult for me to wrap my brain around. How could something be greater after having once been broken and lost? 
It's hard for me to wrap my mind around that. Continuing this theme, the Russian novelist Dostoevsky, he, in his classic book, The Brothers Karamazov, he takes it a step further and he says this, I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for, that all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage, that in the world finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, for all the blood that they've shed, that it'll make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. This is hard for me to grasp, and I'll be honest, there's parts of me that wants to reject it, but church, I believe it to my core that this is true. I believe that it is true. How can all this suffering be justified or even make sense in the end? Church, just because it doesn't make sense to us right now, that doesn't mean that there won't be a day when the shadow passes that it doesn't make sense to us. I cling to this truth. This helps the follower of Jesus to experience an undercurrent of peace. But what does an undercurrent of peace look like? Maybe Jesus can teach us something about this. And I would call, to you, I would call you to think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke 22. When Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is in distress knowing the pain that he would endure on the cross. The scripture tells us that Jesus was in anguish. Hear that again. The Prince of Peace was in anguish to the point of sweating drops of blood. He asked the Father if there's another way forward to allow it. But the cross was the plan. And we also know that Jesus, and scripture teaches us this, that he saw the joy set before him. And for that reason, he endured the cross. And church, maybe what we just read, maybe some of that is what an undercurrent of peace can look like. Earlier in the sermon, I shared a story of a favorite vacation to Wichita Falls, Texas. I'll share a kind of a little personal example of this, of how I've seen this piece that surpasses understanding. What I didn't share with you that is the background of this spontaneous vacation, it, it actually wasn't quite so spontaneous. It was pretty deliberate for, on the part of my family. Some of you know my story, and, and many of you do not. We're not gonna get in the weeds of it today, but this trip took place because my grandparents and my mother had to get my sister and I out of Oklahoma for protection from my father. In the midst of danger and distress, in the midst of terrible things that had just happened days before, me as a nine-year-old, fully aware of what had happened, I played and I rested in the presence of my family. In the darkest season of my life, the greatest vacation I ever experienced. That does not make sense to me. That surpasses my understanding of how could God work in this way? How could he provide peace in a time like that? How could he provide play and fun in a time like that? And church, I, what I want you to hear from me is I've experienced the kindness and the peace of the Lord in the midst of these things. Church, I don't say this to romanticize any of the trauma that took place, but I want you to know that I experienced peace in the midst of it. I continue to grapple with the pain of the past, but I also experience here today a peace that does not make sense to me. The peace of his presence that comforts me and the future promise that the hands that put the moon, the sun, and the stars in her place will wipe tears from our eyes. That gives me peace. That gives me hope. Not a peace born from the absence of storms in life, but a peace that is very present in the storm that we experience. What a gift to us. Church, peace that surpasses understanding. I would say that it looks a lot more like Moses leading the Israelites through the dry ground of the Red Sea with walls of bone-crushing water to the left and right. 
That sounds more like peace to me, peace that surpasses understanding. Maybe peace is more like Jesus in anguish in the garden of Gethsemane, but enduring the cross for the joy set before him. And for me, in my experience, peace, the God of peace being with you can look like a holiday inn in the valley of darkness for my family. Peace can be known. As we enter into a new year, church, this is what I would say to you, the Lord is near. He is near to you. He cares for you. And he is near in the sense that we have the presence of his Holy Spirit as followers of Jesus, but we also cling to the future hope that one day he is coming back. And church, I believe it, every sad thing will become untrue. It defies our logic. We sing a song often that talks about having peace that doesn't make sense. We can't explain this away, but I know that peace is found in his presence. So I wanna be aware of the presence of God. I want to practice remembering and rejoicing who he is and what he's done and clinging to the future hope because of that. And I wanna invite him into the ups and downs of my life by talking to God, by asking him for things that I could never do for my friends or I could never do for my family, asking him to move in ways. He can handle even my prayer requests that maybe miss the mark, he can handle it. But I wanna be living life with him because I need the peace of his presence. As we wrap up our time together, I can think of no better way to finish this message, but also the year with communion. If you didn't receive the elements, you can just slip up your hand and one of our volunteers will make sure that you get that. If you're not a follower of Jesus, um, communion, this, this time is not for you, but there's a, there's a great invitation for you in that. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, and maybe even based on today's message, maybe there's something about Jesus that you would like to know more about you know that you need a stabilizing anchor that you can rely on, cling to, and trust in in the ups and downs of life. I would love to talk with you more about that after the service. Me or any of our staff volunteers, we'd love to do that. I'll be up front. We'll have people all around the church. If you have questions about that, I'd love to talk with you. But now as we practice communion, we do this. We take inventory of where we are in adopting the attitude of Christ Jesus and following him. And we do that first by remembering the sacrifice that was made by our Savior. And we give thanks to him for that. And we're going to start with the cup. And I'll be reading from Corinthians, from 1 Corinthians. So go ahead and open the top, get your piece of bread. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way he also took the cup after supper and said this cup is a new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me father you are good and you are kind father i thank you that we can rejoice and we can remember your great works that history testifies of how good that you are. Romans 5, 8 tells us that you have demonstrated your love for us in this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
But Father, we also cling to the hope that one day the Prince of Peace will return and make all things right. It is something that we can struggle to believe that it'll make sense of all the suffering that has happened in this world. But God, we cling to that truth. And God, may we be aware of your presence. You are near. And may we find peace that surpasses understanding and know that the God of all things will guard our hearts and our minds. We thank you. As we sing this last song of worship, God, may we just cry out in thanks, remembering and rejoicing in who you are and what you've done and what you promised to do. It's in your son's name that we pray, amen.